continuing our series, The Christian Atheist, and I know that's a kind of a unique title from the idea of how can you be Christian and atheist? They seem like two polar opposites. And so over the next few weeks, I want us just to think about this idea. And the idea of a Christian atheist is this, is that it's one who professes the name of Jesus or professes to be a Christian, but our life is exactly the opposite. And um, what I don't want you to hear is that, um, that this is about behavior modification, or if you do certain things, you'll get in the right spot. What I want you to hear is that this is about heart transformation, that as we understand who God is and what he's about and the characteristics of God, and as a child of God, what it looks like for us to then, therefore, as we fall in love with him, to be obedient, and that we look and act and talk and think and do life more like him than before. So one of the Western world philosophies is don't worry, be happy. Have you ever heard that? All right, don't worry, be happy. That sounds really good, doesn't it? How many of y'all don't want to worry and you want to be happy? Everyone, okay? Well, that's false, all right? You're all going to worry anyway, and we're struggling and we're reaching for happiness, aren't we? Aren't we? We kind of do things and we're reaching for happiness, and that very moment that you get that thing that you think is going to bring you happiness, what happens? The, fle- the feeling is fleeting. And so we're constantly pursuing things that make us, that we think will bring us happiness. And so that's a Western thought that kind of follows through and undergirds so much, and it even it, it has invaded the church. And so... Um, we have this idea that I just have this or this is a part of the church or if they have this program to do this, that, that that will make it the perfect church. And so we're constantly pursuing happiness. And every time that we reach happiness and we reach out and we think we've got it, we bring it close and it dissipates, it disappears because that very feeling is then gone because now we've got to pursue something else. We've got to pursue something new that will bring happiness to us. So don't worry, be happy is a false notion that I want you to, it's a great song, we can sing it later on. But it's not a good life philosophy. As a matter of fact, how many of you have ever been to this wonderful restaurant called Luby's? Any of you ever been there? I don't know if there's any left. Um, it was a great concept at one point where you could go in and you could have it your way. I always went with my grandparents. And so that was awesome because my grandparents ate different stuff than what I would eat. And I was kind of, you know, nine or ten years old. You're thinking, wow, this is awesome. I get to choose. It's like you can get four bowls of mac and cheese. You know, it's like your deal. You've got it, Right. And so we're going through the line, you get the tray, and you kind of get your stuff, and you put it on there, and then you get to the end, and you realize, hey, you think this is kind of cool until you have to pay. And then like, yeah, for every bowl, and then you're like, man, choosing it my way gets really expensive in a hurry. And so that, that is life as well, is that there's a cost to pursuing happiness and having it your own way. You can't have everything your own way. We have now, even in Sonic, so you can go to Sonic, and there are 3.5 million drink choices. I'm like, just give me a Dr. Pepper. I mean, I don't, I don't have that much time to like give me, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Starbucks recently, and like somebody orders, and you're like, you can like flip calendars by how long and what all they need. They need a half-calf, soy-calf, decaf, chopped half, and all that. I mean, they start going through this whole thing, and they're just like doing stuff, and it's like a doctoral thesis that they've gotten written around this cup, and they've got to make this up. And again, this whole way that we have it our way. As a matter of fact, Burger King just doesn't even lie to you. They just say, have it your way. You just show, we just want customers. So you come in and you order a hamburger and, and we'll do it. And so this idea of it should be our way all the time. And it sounds really good. And it really feels good in that moment sometimes when we get our own way. But in reality, many times when we get our way, it's at the cost of other people. It's at the cost of other things. And so it's not a good way to do community. It's not a good way to do life. And but we live in this tension as Christians of, of pursuing happiness 
and pursuing holiness. And what I want you to grasp this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that one of the things that this whole idea of Christian atheists that, that kind of feels like it's turning the world upside down, it, it truly is, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a, a Jesus person, as you pursue him, it should be flipping your world upside down and that you should be pursuing not happiness, but you should be pursuing holiness. And so what I want you to even think about is God is more concerned about your holiness than he is concerned about your happiness. That God is more concerned about your holiness than he is about your happiness. And I know that kind of maybe seems shocking, but listen, if you pursue the holiness of God, if you pursue the holy God, if you pursue him and him alone, then you will find happiness. Because in pursuing him, you're going to be pursuing a path, as Proverbs chapter 14 tells us, that if we pursue a certain path, if we go along this way, then we're going to miss out on some shame. We're going to miss out on some pain. We're going to miss out on some regrets. We're going to miss out on some broken relationships. We're going to miss out on some destruction. Now, one of the things when you teach someone to drive is you teach them to pay attention to the road signs, right? So whenever they take the test or whenever you're driving along, one of the things that that we've done with our kids as we teach them to drive is like, look, that sign that says curve, slow down for curve ahead, what do you think we teach them? Slow down, there's a curve ahead. We don't say speed up, just take a chance, and let's just see if it really means what it says. Or if it says, hey, there's danger ahead, or if there's a stoplight. Stoplight doesn't mean gun it and go through and hope for the best. Okay? We stop. There's signals along the way, there's signs along the way for us to stop along the path. And there are so many times in life as adults, as young people, that we see the signs, we have taken a path, we've chosen a path to go a certain way, and there's signals that tell us stop, tell us slow down, tell us turn this way, don't go straight ahead, and we don't listen to them. And many times it sounds like the voice of our parents sounds like the voice of other adults. It sounds like the voice of a wife or a husband or friends. And they're speaking truth to us and saying, listen, you've chosen a path that may seem right. May even seem right for a little bit. You're going along the path for a little bit. It may seem right. You can go at the speed that you want to go. There's no bumps in the road, but it actually ends up in death. Don't worry. Be happy. Is a life philosophy that is just, I'm going to choose my path and I'm going to go and I'm not going to worry about it. And then you're going to wake up with pain, shame, regret, even ultimately death. Look at the signs around you. So what I want us to think about this morning is this idea of fear. Of what does it mean for us to be fearful of God? And so, so many times when we think of this idea of fear... Um, you have different ideas that automatically pop up. Like, what are you afraid of? So maybe some of you are afraid of, like, there's a monster underneath the bed, and so you can't lay your arm over the bed because there's something furry and fuzzy, and it's going to grab you in the middle of the night. Anybody got that? Or you can't turn off the lights, right, because you just don't know, and so you've got different fears. Or maybe your fear is is that you've heard this sound, the belt coming out, and so you know immediately, like, I'm running, you know, or you hear all the different things, and so you have things that you're afraid of, or... You, you sense and see God that way. Is that God is there and he's the boogeyman. He's there in the night. You don't really know him. You don't know when he's going to show up or you're afraid that he's going to come. He's ready to, to, to whoop you, to bring you into your place or do whatever that is. And you have that kind of thing. And what I want you to think about this morning is that that's not necessarily, that is not how God reacts with us. As a matter of fact, what I want you to grasp is this, is that, that what we have is that we have a king of kings, 
And that the idea of having a king of kings is that we have access, special, unique access to the king of kings. And that what generally what happens is when someone has access to the king is they've written in and they've asked for access to the king. And so the king, if he feels good that day, grants access and says, hey, you can show up to, the, to my court on Thursday at 3 o'clock and you show up at Thursday at 3 o'clock and you knock on the door and the, the king's court, they open up the doors and they call out your name and say, hey, you've been granted access, you've been granted an audience before the king. And so therefore, you enter into the king's court with great fear, with great trepidation, because you have something you want to bring to him. You have, hey, I have this request, or I want to bring this to you. And so you have this idea. And so I think so many of us view God this way, is that we have to set an appointment, we have to set a time, and that we have to knock on the door, and hopefully he'll grant us access to him, and that he's got this high holy place. And he is, he's holy and he's set apart. But here's the deal, here's the the thing that's changed is that if you are a follower of Jesus through Christ, you don't have to knock on the door to enter into the king's court anymore. You're a child of the king. So as a child of the king, instead of having to knock on the door and say, hey, hey, king, can I come in? You actually have access. As a matter of fact, what the king of kings expects and wants is he wants his children running and playing and being in his presence in the court. And so that there's those moments where it could be seemingly be the most important meeting of the day for the king where all the other dignitaries of the world are there and have the audience of the king because you're a child, you get to interrupt and you get to tug on the king's coat and say, hey, daddy, daddy, can I have a Capri Sun? And he's like, yeah, how many have you had today? All right. You've had two. No, let's drink water. Right. Because sometimes the parent needs to do good things. And so a good father asks those questions, right? But here's the deal, is that you always have access to him. But you still have a reverence and a fear because you see how he acts. You see how he treats other people. You see him acting as the king and that how people, other people have fear and reverence for him. And that you get to see that, hey, they call him not just king, but they call him you know, the Lord and master, and they call him all these different things. And so you see all of these characteristics of who your dad is. And so because of that, you don't have a fear of, of punishment. You don't have a fear, but you have a reverence and an awe and an anticipation for what your good father is going to do, what the good king is going to do. Because anytime he dispenses and anytime he talks and anytime he acts, it's always to the benefit of others. Now, that benefit may be no, that benefit may be not now, but you still see that. And you have privy to it because you're a child and you're around and you get to be in his presence and you get to see it. So the first thing that I want you to grasp is the reason that we do not fear God well is because we do not know him. We don't truly know him because we we think that we have to stand at the door and knock. And listen, if you're a child of his, you don't have to ask for an appointment anymore. You have a 24-7 access. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to text for him in the next room. I get those. You get those through text. Hey, Dad, are you still awake? You know, it's 11 o'clock. Like, I am now, right? And so God's always on, and he will not even expect a text. You can just walk in and say, hey, God, this is what I need. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm talking about. The reason that we don't fear God correctly is because we don't know him. We haven't spent time enough around him. As a matter of fact, it says this in 2 Timothy 3, 5. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. We do a great job in the Bible Belt of acting religious. We do a great job of we've learned the language, we've learned the lingo, 
we put on the right clothes, we do our hair correctly, we do all the different things that we do. You've walked in here and someone has said to you, hey, how are you doing? And because, because you know that the answer is supposed to be I'm doing good or I'm doing fine, you say I'm doing, doing, good, doing good, I'm doing fine, even though you've had the worst week of your life. Okay? And so we've, we've programmed ourselves to behavior modify, to, to be religious, to be quote-unquote godly, to do the things, to say the things that we do, even if God's not truly having an impact upon our life. And so there, there's this culture of religiousness. But they reject the power that can make them godly, that being and seeing and understand that, that God will change you drastically. As a matter of fact, we'll see in just a moment that actually when you say yes to Jesus, something happens and you become new. And so that even inside of you is the power that comes from God, the power to have victory, the power to have life in ways that you would have never had it before. As a matter of fact, if you look at all of the polls and all of the research that's coming out right now, it says this. It's real simple. If you're to take people that go to church on a regular basis and people that don't go to church on a regular basis, guess what? We look the same. There's nothing different about us. There's nothing different about what we do. There's nothing different about what we watch. There's nothing different about how we talk. There's nothing different about us. that We, we have the same. Everything that the world is struggling with, the church is struggling with as well. And so the question for me and the question for us as followers of Jesus is, what is it that we're not grasping that will give us victory in areas that we need victory? Because again, right, we're, we, we've come here on a Sunday morning because we say or we're in pursuit of this Jesus that has made a difference and is making a difference in our life. But if we come here on a regular basis on a Sunday and he's not making a difference in our life on Monday through Saturday, then, then there's something not this, there's a disconnect. Something's not happening. And so it seems to be is that we're so in pursuit of our happiness that we forgot God's more concerned about our holiness. And that if we pursue the holiness, if we pursue God with everything we've got, and as we spend time in the court with the king, as we spend time in the court with our father and we have access to him, is that we understand that we will find happiness. Happiness will be a byproduct of pursuing his holiness. And that we live in this tension as followers of Jesus is that as we pursue his holiness and being separate and, and different and upside down living, that as we pursue this holiness, that happiness will happen. And it may not look like what the world would call happiness, but it, for us it is holiness because we don't have some of the shame, pain, regrets, hurts, destruction. We don't have those things. And so therefore in pursuit of holiness comes a lot less baggage and destruction and hurt. And so happiness is a byproduct of that. We can see and know what our beliefs are by our behavior. You can just see it. You know it, what someone believes by their behavior. So what I want you to grasp is this also, that when we begin to, to fear God, to know God and begin to fear him from that, the natural thing is obedience. So the natural thing is obedience. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the Old Testament about this guy named Abraham. And he was called to, to a crazy ask by God, which was, this one child you've been praying for for a long, 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 long time, I now ask you as he's about to become an adult, he's 12, almost 13, as he's becoming an adult, I want you to, to sacrifice him. I want you to give him up. Now, that's a crazy thing. I don't know about you, but I think 100% of us in this room would say, hey, God, awesome, it's been great, but I'm out. Right? I mean, I, I would. this would be hard 
for me to do. And so you can imagine, here's Abraham, he's 100-something years old, he's thinking about this, and, and so here he is. And, and so what I want you to think about and understand is that this ask was based out of relationship. And so that he's been in the king's court, he's seen God time after time after time, when he's been obedient, as he's been obedient, Abraham's been obedient, he's seen God come through time after time. And so there's been a trust factor. He said, hey, Abraham, go do this. And Abraham would be obedient and he would go do it. And God would show himself faithful and, and protect and guide. And so then God would take him a little bit further. And so here he is at this place. And so the very thing that he treasured most, the thing that could trip him up, the one thing that might be a separation from him, from complete obedience to God, he'd narrowed it down to it was your son. And so God said to him, listen, I want you to take your son and I want you to find a place and let's sacrifice him. Again, a totally different world, totally different thought. And so Abraham says, okay. And I imagine it just because it's who I am. I imagine that he's the whole time thinking, God, surely there's a way. Surely there's another way. Even Jesus on his way to the cross, God, surely there's another way. Surely there's another way. And so for three days, Abraham followed the exact journey, the exact path that God wanted him to go to and up the mountain. And again, if it was me, God said, hey, Chris, go to this mountain. I'm 99.99999% sure that I would go, hey, that's a cool mountain. I've seen it before, but me and my kid, we're going this way. Right? And so here is God. He's asked this extreme thing. And so Abraham pursues and he walks. And, and I'm sure the entire time it's just, just this the gut-wrenching feeling of, God, I can't believe that you're asking this of me. And so finally they get to this place, and they get to the top of the mountain, and they begin to gather things for the sacrifice, because he, he told his son, hey, son, we're, we're going to go sacrifice to God. And he didn't tell him what and who and everything. But So they got to the top of the mountain, and they began to prep, and he says, Dad, we didn't bring anything to sacrifice. What are we going to sacrifice? And, and I'm sure that was a difficult conversation. Son, it's, it's, it's you. And... and, and the process of that, and, and there, here they go, and then Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, it says this, Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. And this, this idea of fear here is, again, one out of relationship that he's seen over and over and over again that God is trustworthy, that God is more than capable, that God would never take him down a path that would actually harm and hurt. But he needed to know that he needed to know. He wanted to show Abraham that he was willing to give up everything in pursuit of him. And that that's what it is for us, is that the world is looking and saying, listen, that the byproduct of pursuing a holy God is that happiness will come along. Can you imagine the celebration that Abraham and his child and his family had, knowing that here comes his child, they come back home, and that there's true happiness in that because of the obedience in that moment? As a matter of fact, there's another scene where someone is saying, hey, they're going to be obedient. It's Isaiah. and In Isaiah chapter 6, we see this moment where he's in a moment of worship. And in this moment of worship, literally the heavens open up. And so he sees the court of heaven. And so he sees God on his throne. He sees the heavenly realms, and there's angels that are flying around, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so there's this scene of worship, and in this courtroom, the court is happening, and so they're, they're deciding certain things. And at the end of the court time, that they would decide what they were going to talk and what they were going to proclaim. And so here Isaiah is. He has a moment. He's given a glimpse 
up into heaven. And so he sees all this happening. And so, as a matter of fact, seraphim, which have six wings, are, are flying around and they're singing the song. And with because of the glory of God, they have to cover over their eyes and they cover over their feet because of the holiness. And they're flying around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the, the beauty and the glory of that moment in there. And so Isaiah has this encounter with God in that moment. Let's read what it says. Then I said, Isaiah, it's all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Can you imagine? That here he is, that he was so in awe of and being in the presence of God. He's like, listen, I'm a doomed man. There, I, I, I've seen what I cannot see. I've seen the glory of God, which... In their world, that meant that you were his ultimate death. And so he knew that death was coming to him. And so he cries out. He says, I'm a doomed man. I'm a man of unclean lips. In the presence of God, everything about me is unclean. There's nothing that can come forth from my mouth that can bring holiness. I'm in this moment. I'm speechless because there's nothing that I can utter that would bring value and worth to this moment. This moment is more than enough. And so from that moment, there's this edict that needs to be passed out. God says, hey, listen, who are we going to send forth? to proclaim the words, to proclaim the words of truth that need to be proclaimed. Because of the moment that Isaiah was in, he raises his hand and he says, Here am I, send me. That there's no other response than being in the presence of the Father. There's no other response than being in the presence of the King of Kings and having an encounter with Him than to be moved forward to an act of obedience. That Isaiah says, I don't even know what the message is, but I am willing to go because I've encountered the living God. And so the same is true for us, that there's moments like this, or there's moments where we encounter, we have glimpses into heaven, and it so moves us and catapults us forward, and it motivates us. It literally like a motor. It gets your motor started. It gets you moving in the direction of obedience. And so for us, fearing in, in all of who God is and understanding that we have the audience of the King and that we're there, and it should move us to obedience, to trust Him over and over. And in your own walk, that you should be seeing that God is calling you to, to further and deeper obedience, that He's calling you to further and deeper things that you never thought possible, that you never thought you would go again, because He's flipping our worlds upside down. And then finally, what I want you to grasp is this, is that when we fear God through relationship, not only is there seen acts of obedience, but then there's also there's victory in our lives. Paul, who was, I would, I would say, it was probably the strongest, best Christian ever, if you could could do that. If we were to have a little list of who's the best Christian ever, I mean, the Apostle Paul is like, right there, obviously Jesus is here, right? Okay, we've got this little chart. We're starting school, so now we have a little chart. And so Jesus is here. Paul's here. The rest of us, we're like, I don't know where we're at, but we're, we're, you know, we're in this place somewhere. And so we're in pursuit. And so here's this guy, Paul, who's like the Christian of all Christians, and here's what he says. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right... I inevitably do what is wrong. <laughs> you this week? Right? And so listen, give yourself a break. Alright, here's Paul who, who had an encounter, a, a unique, one-of-a-kind encounter with Jesus and had a conversation with him. The guy who knows the Old Testament more than anyone. I mean, he was a student. He was at Harvard, Yale, Princeton. He was a Rhodes Scholar in the Old Testament. That's why I believe that God chose him to be what he was. And so here's this guy who knows all this stuff. And so he's working out his salvation, right? He's being obedient. He's doing missionary journeys. God's totally impacting his life and he's been motivated and moving forward. And even he says, I've discovered this principle of life. I want to do what's right. 
But inevitably, I do the opposite. This is the tension that we live in. I want to pursue holiness because I've met God and I know Him and I understand He's been true, true to me. He's been faithful to me. I've, every time that I've been obedient, He's there. I want to pursue holiness. But dadgummit, happiness sometimes went out. And immediately when I make that choice, I know that it's the wrong choice. And so we live in this tension. And understanding again that it's not about behavior modification. I can't clean up enough. I can't do enough good things. All that stuff is just trash. It's rubbish. But it's pursuit of holiness over happiness. And pursuing holiness wins out. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave. Literally, it owns me. And it's still within me. Anybody? You became a Christian and everything became easier, right? Everything you've struggled with in your life is now gone. No. No, but listen. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Some of us, that's our mantra. You believe that. And here's what Paul says. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the good news. That's what brings us hope. That's what, whenever you pursue happiness and it's fleeting and you grasp it and it doesn't provide that you can say, oh, I did it again, but I'm, now I'm pursuing holiness. And you see the life. You see that you don't have the shame, the pain, and regrets because you're walking this path. That's the beauty of the tension that we walk on and walk in. And that the Lord Jesus Christ that provides for us access to the court of the king. And so many times as children, we stand at the door and we knock and we say, hey, let us in. And he's like, listen, you're my child. You already have access. Quit acting like you're not my child. You have freedom to roam and to play and to be in here and to ask of me. You have opportunities to be free and to be victorious. You just haven't taken it and done it. You don't understand the inheritance. You don't understand what is at your access and what is available to you. So you're still stuck on the outside of the king's court when you have freedom to run and to play and to be here with me and to see how I do and what I do and how I act. Matter of fact, it tells us that the very power that raised Christ from the dead resides with inside of you. It tells us in Ephesians that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Literally, that whenever you said yes to what Jesus did on the cross, that God melted you, that he wrecked you, that he destructed the old you, melted you down, Put Jesus, put the Spirit of God with inside of you that you are now a holy thing. You once were something else, but now you are a holy thing and that He raises you back up in a holy thing and that you now have a new substance, a new being, a new purpose and that you have places, holy places to be, holy things to do. You are set apart. Where once you were just, just regular, now you are unique in Christ, new things to do and the power of God resides with inside of you and you can have victory over the things that you're struggling with and that you want victory over. For the kingdom of God is just not talk. Second Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For the kingdom is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Listen, if there's nothing else that we need to hear in the culture of the Bible Belt, we need this. 
is we do a lot of talking in the Bible Belt. A lot of religious talking. There's a lot of people inoculated by faith. People are wanting to see us living by God's power, radically heart changed by what God's doing. And understanding that we live in this tension. Give yourself a break. And know that we live in this tension of happiness and holiness in pursuit of this. But God and people are watching us. Watching us and saying, I want what you've got. I want to see what God's doing in your heart and life and how he's transforming you. As you less often pursue your own happiness and pursue holiness. But also we understand that the rewards, the benefits, the stuff that the natural byproduct of pursuing holiness for us is there's so much more happy. We're so much more happy. Because we don't have the stuff that we have to get rid of, the stuff that we have to pretend that we don't have, the stuff that we fight away, all those different things, because we're pursuing the holiness and the kingdom of God. All right? God is much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. This morning, what I want you to think, one, do you know God? Do you know that you know that you know God? Do you know that you don't have to knock on the door, but that you're a child of the king and you get to be in the presence of the king at all time and have access? If you don't know that this morning, I want you to pray with me in just a moment and say, I want full-time access to the king. The second thing I want to ask you is that are you, as a follower of Jesus, do you see growing obedience in your life? Do you see that God's moving you forward and asking more of you and that sometimes you're like, Ugh, I don't know, but, but that God's entrusting you to that and that he's entrusting that you're, you're growing in your, your faith with him and your obedience with him. And then finally, do you see that there's a place where you need victory? Look back on the victories that God has been actively a part of your life and look back and look at those memorials and say, God, you've brought victory in this place and this way in my life and, and I need victory in, in here now. And so I know that if you provided victory in this place because the Spirit of God resides inside of me, you can... Bring me to this place of victory. I can't do it on my own. It's not about me, but it's about you bringing victory and heart transformation where the thing that I think is bringing me happiness that I know is fleeting and doesn't bring happiness and only brings hurt, shame, pain, and regret. I know that if I hear that I pursue holiness in this, that we'll find victory. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you that you've granted us access to your court, that you've granted us access as your children if we've said yes to Jesus. So this morning, I just if there's anyone here that needs to know that they are a child of God, let's just pray this together. Dear Jesus, I need you. Dear Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross covers my sins and grants me access to the King. And that now I'm a child of the King and I have access to everything that's His. Father, teach me to live as a child of the King. Father, I pray for those in this room that you're asking us to take a next step of obedience, that, Father, that we would muster up not our own courage, but the power of the Spirit of God living within us. May we know 
that you live within us and that we have the power through you to do what you're asking us to do. And that, Father, that also those places where people are wanting victory, the same thing, is that the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy God resides with inside of us. And, Father, that we can have victory through you. Father, may you bring glory and honor to yourself the way that we live and pursue holiness. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.